Hello everyone and welcome to HY Dyslexia Podcast. We want to thank Lambeth Black Thrive for supporting some of our workshops and this podcast. Today's podcast is very, very different to what we normally talk about. We have the title, You Don't Look Dyslexic. Now, we have the lovely Ina Zolola Mesaloni, who has joined us in London somewhere. And um, she is built environment construction professional. And she will be speaking to us today about some of the discrimination that she comes against within the workplace. One, because people don't understand dyslexia. And two, sometimes people will say you actually don't look dyslexic. And you think, what does a dyslexic need to look like? So it is a very interesting podcast today. But before I start, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Elizabeth Techi, the founder and CEO of 8Y Dyslexia. Anna Zanona, welcome to 8Y Dyslexia podcast. Tell our listeners a little bit about you, and then we're going to dive straight into the podcast with a couple of questions. Okay, no problem. Um, Thank you for having me, Elizabeth, and thank you for everyone who tunes in to listen to this. So my name is Ina Zilona, and I've been working in the built environment since 2016. And that was inspired by a career change that started in 2011. Since then, I've been providing day-to-day assistance on major projects based in London, and that has helped them run efficiently as they should. This started with the Crossrail project in 2016, where I was working directly for Crossrail as the client. Um, Then that was in 2017, working on phase two Battersea power station, which was the regeneration of the actual main power station itself. And then um, lastly, after that, between 2018 and 2019, I worked on HST Houston Station and the company I worked for was working on the design of the station area. Um, So in terms of outside of work, I like to keep active and these days because of COVID that is mainly walking around. I see myself as a lifelong learner and um, during this lockdown period I've been looking a lot at personal development and I would like to get back into volunteering where things open up at a certain point in time. Wonderful. Um, I have a few um, ideas and concepts that I would like to bring to life, which I've also been working on throughout this period. And um, I've actively joined the Dyslexia Conversation recently to try and help bring more awareness about this condition and overlapping conditions. Right, so you were diagnosed with dyslexia at a very young age, am I right? Um, I was diagnosed or confirmed at the age of 16, two weeks before my GCSEs. How was that for you? How did it make you feel? It was, um, I think overall, it was positive because what happened is it allowed me to understand that my different experiences throughout life in different environments, um, they were true. They were correct in the sense that those experiences did happen. It wasn't something I imagined. Um, So it gave me something to be able to maybe be able to say, well, at least from that particular point of view, when people say a number of different things is to say, oh, because of dyslexia. I don't think the confirmation of dyslexia 
gave the whole story because I do have some other overlapping but it was a start and it definitely gave me something to look at and um, it, it definitely made me think at least that well it means that I'm not stupid at least from that particular point of view it just it, it's just that I'm different and here's a reason why a starting reason right so how do you respond when someone questions your dyslexia or tells you you don't look dyslexic how should a dyslexic look like? Is that because you're black and you have dyslexia? Should you, how, what should you exhibit for people to know that you've got dyslexia? I think it depends on who, who's speaking to me. And um, I think there's a, a, few, a few parts to that. So my first part is when somebody asks me, oh, are you dyslexic? My shortest answer is, yes, I am dyslexic. That, that's, the, that's the quickest answer. Um, and then... The other, the, the kind of parts that go into that particular answer is that, well, I may have learned coping strategies, but I only know how to be dyslexic or dyspraxic because that's the way my brain is wired. I don't really know how, I don't know how to be anything other than that. And then I thought to myself, well, if I looked at it from a different point of view, if this was a job description, so for example, if you're going for a job and they try and tell you the type of things you require to um, be hired for that job, I thought the job description was dyslexic. I would be well qualified. You know, I have the experiences, the milestones and memories worthy of a person with dyslexia. So for example, I have a spiky profile, which is obviously one of those things that they relate directly to dyslexia. I have issues with reading memory sequencing. You know, there is the associated um, mental health and maybe trauma, including confidence and shame issues. But on the flip side of that, there's the creativity, there's the pattern spotting, the innovation, the different ways of thinking, um, the simplifying and ideas generation. So, and then, you know, more interestingly, there's the idea of being able to pronounce, ex explain and spell the same thing in so many different ways. You know, if that was a job description, I think I, I think I should be hired. Right. So, I mean, normally do you face, I mean, in a workplace, do you come, have you come across challenges where, you've um, maybe been given a task to do and you're saying, because I'm dyslexic, could I have more time to complete this? Um, can you explain it better to me? I didn't get what you said first time. Have you come across some discrimination or challenges in the workplace? Um, I would say I have, but I tend to, um, I would say in terms of my experience from being very young, growing up in a particular environment and a number of different spaces I've been in, obviously I mentioned the idea of what I kind of um, rely upon to be able to exist in a number of kind of generational um, socio-economical spaces. So I would say that is how I approach things in a workplace. The idea is, is that um, it's required of me to complete a particular task. So I would start off with the idea of, well, what is it that I have to achieve? And from that, I would then ask whoever's speaking to me to provide me as much useful information I can require. And what they see as useful information is not necessarily what I see as useful information. I just need the parts that I require to do my task and the rest, well, I'll, I'll, I'll show you the rest when I've finished it. <clears throat> so the idea is that I probably have, but it's not something that I allow it to phase me because what I tend to do is remove that kind of emotion of discrimination or shame and concentrate solely on the role that I'm doing. Um, so I know that um, one of the roles I did a year or two ago, <clears throat> there was a point in time where 
uh, required more work, uh, required more time. <clears throat> but that was from a point of view that that particular project was basically full steam ahead turbo speed. So what had happened is that I had been operating at that level for so long that my speed, which was very, very fast because I had a lot to do, it started to slow down. So through that time, I then, yes, I started to ask whether I could have more time. With everything else, it was more the angle that this is how fast things um, this is how fast things um, progress. So this is how fast I will need to progress with it. And because I've had a lot to do, I would say that I'm probably working a lot faster than maybe some people doing other tasks who are in my wider team, but just not part of my team. Yeah. So had you met many people in your young age when you were 16, who like, from a black parentage background who have got dyslexia? Had you met many? No, no, not at all. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Mm -hmm. um, I, I met the first. So if I'm thinking about so um, as I found out more about dyslexia, what I tend to do is look back on my life and think about the people that I've existed in the same space with. So I can say that um, I could think in terms of the school I went to, there probably is somebody who's in the year above that if I think about him right now, I think he had dyslexia. Um, I can think about probably people in my family um, who are not um, assessed that the more I find out about dyslexia, they may not be dyslexic, they might have something else, but there's definitely some kind of difference. But in terms of something that has been specified and they've had an assessment and they themselves say they're dyslexia, I didn't meet first person until I was, I think about 32. And I think the first person or people I probably would have met would be Ruth Ellen Dankwa and um, Marcia Bridget Bailey. Yes. And that wasn't until my early 30s. Wow. Wow. So obviously now there's more of a little bit of awareness within the black community. And um, there's a bit more, you know, companies you can go to, like HY Dyslexia and all the other companies that are out there. They're, you're doing well, you're doing thank well. Thank you so much. There are so many more. It's not just myself, but there are many um, uh, dyslexic organisations out there that are black-led. Um, so what advice would you have for a young 16-year-old who is probably saying to the teacher in the school or their parents that, I think I might have dyslexia and that person's not believed? What advice would you have for them? I think one of, I would say a good way to approach it is to understand that just, it, 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 may, it may sound a bit tricky. Just because something is important to you, it doesn't mean it's important to somebody else. I think that's the first thing you need to understand. It's, it's a bit of a harsh reality, but that's the first way to understand. I think after that, the next way to look at it is, the, the statement that says seeing is believing. So I understand that when it comes to dyslexia, there may be an issue when it comes to, for example, um, the reading and the comprehension parts. But I would say right now versus when I was um, assessed um, 21 years ago, there's more information available. So what I would suggest is almost to look at it almost like a bit of like a legal case. The idea is that you have to amount up evidence to be able to make somebody take you seriously. I understand after they're getting the evidence, somebody could still try and um, dismiss it, but your best chance is to find out the information so you can back up your feeling and your lived experience. Because, you know, going back not that long ago to when I mentioned the fact that I had an assessment at, at 16, and it then meant that 
my lived experiences were actually true. It may all my lived experiences may not amount up to my experience of dyslexia. It may be something else, but at least when you have the information, you then can you can then kind of almost see it like when you've gone to go and see the doctor and the doctor says, so okay, you know, speak to me about your symptoms. And then you speak to the doctor and the doctor's able to say, I think maybe, I don't know, it's it's a headache or it's this, that, any other. So if you gather the information, I would say that's the best chance you have to be able to present a case, if you want to say it that way, present a case to, this is the reason why I need to be assessed. And ultimately, I, you know, you might be able to present it from a particular type of way that I don't think that you're being able to get the full um full potential out of me I'm not being able to engage in what I'm doing so well so here's here's my evidence this is this is what would be able to kind of um limit that gap and give me a more fair advantage right you've done incredible work for yourself I am I I'm Zinoga. You've done really, I have? you've done really well. I mean, I looked, I read your biography and I thought, wow. And I think the reason why it's wow for me, it's building environment or built environment construction professional. Mm. It's mm. a male-dominated field, isn't it? Not many women go Absolutely. into that field. So how have you managed with dyslexia, being black and being a woman? How have you really managed that? Um well, interestingly enough, I would say majority of my environments, including as far as being very young in my family unit, has been quite male-oriented. So I think in that kind of respect, um, this is something I know. So I'm not saying that I haven't been around women and females, I have. But, you know, for example, as young as I was, my best playing mate when I was younger was male. He was my cousin. Um when I went to school, I had a group of girlfriends and we played with boys. But then past my close family unit, in terms of the cousins, our generation are mainly male. When I went to um, when I went to my first secondary school, that was all female, which was quite different. But then when I went to my second my second secondary school, which was majority of my time, that was once again basically a male school. There were only a few of us as females. And then once again, moving on to further education or higher education, in terms of the course that I actually studied, it was majority male once again. So if I was to actually think about it, the male environment has been the environment in which that I have developed and grown up. And um, from the angle of being black, well, ultimately I had um, a quite a large quite a large extended family growing up and obviously we were black in terms of my friends a lot of my friends were black and then some from different ethnicities when I went to my second secondary school that was majority white basically 98% white um, and then when I went to university there were black people around but not a lot of black people hardly I think I, I might be the only black person on my course um, so coming coming back to London, I would say from the angle of being one of the only black people, it's there's 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 a few black people versus if I was in another city or another country. So that at least is fine. Um, but ultimately, I look at it from the idea of just doing my role. So my inspiration to even come into, for example, built environment construction was to be able to build more houses and more homes which are affordable to our community. 
So that was my driving force. And I've been in spaces on projects where I am maybe the only black female. And yes, I have come across, um, I'm going to call it, I'm not going to say discrimination, I've come across racism. racism. And yeah. I've, I've come across sexism to the point of almost fetishism, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, I've always had my mind set on what I had come to do. So even though I came to build homes affordable to the community, I haven't yet, I haven't yet managed to be in those projects. So the people who have um, um, headhunted me for these particular projects, obviously people might say, oh, wow, they're, they're, they're big and great projects. Everyone knows about that. I understand that. Um, but ultimately, I still haven't come into the industry to achieve what I had set out to originally. Um, I'm hoping I may be able to find my way to that point. And if I don't, I'll find a different way and I'm finding different ways to serve the community. So, so please forgive me. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, my last question will be, what does a dyslexic look like, whether black or white? Because our title is, you don't look dyslexic. What should we look like? <laughs> well, okay. So for that one, I'm going to have to, you know, pose a question back to you. <laughs> With the people that you see around and about, if somebody says, you know, um, famous dyslexics, what are the type of people? What do they look like? What, so what are the first kind of names and, and visuals that come across to you if you thought somebody's famous and dyslexic? Right. Well, I've been following a lot of black dyslexics lately because I resonate and... Um, for me, representation really matters. So one of the people in America um, who's recently written a book, Dr. Tracy Johnson, um, she's okay. appeared in some of our live shows. Um, and then of course, um, all the famous people like Whoopi Goldberg, Will Smith, mm -hmm. um, who else can I think of? Louise Hamilton. Yeah. Hamilton, yes. Sure, so to, to me, I would say that whenever people say dyslexia or people who are famous, um, I would say the first people that get spoken about and the pe first people that are shown are people who are normally white and normally male. So I would say that the poster people for dyslexia when people start talking about dyslexia and how people have risen above um, issues to become successful, the first ones that I always normally hear about people like um, Richard Branson, I normally hear about people like Jamie Oliver. I think people go as far to mention people like maybe Orlando Bloom. If they're not talking about males, they'll probably talk about Kieran Knightley. Um, is there anyone else who they speak about? I think there's one or two who might be hidden, but those are those tend to be the kind of names to me that kind of get put into the mix. And those seem to be the pictures that are shown up. So um, I think as time has gone on, especially considering um, Marcia, um, she posted information last year and obviously the idea was, as you mentioned, re um, representation matters. So she posted basically a page um, of famous or successful dys dyslexics and she all actually happened to include my name in this. Awesome. <laughs> I think I think that's the first time I probably ever really considered myself to be successful because ultimately I looked at, I looked at it as I was coming to achieve a task. You know, if somebody was to say what the success looked like, maybe I hadn't really thought about it. So ultimately, apart from my name in the mix, I saw there was a list of other people like I think it was Benjamin Zatman. You had people like Octavia Spencer. Yeah. You had people like Michael. Um, I think it was Mag Magic Magic Johnson. Yeah. I think you had people like Kobe Bryant. I think Eddie Murphy might have been supposed to might, might be 
might be in the mix. Um, who else? We had Muhammad Ali. Um, there was a number of people, but up until that point, I hadn't, at least where information is coming to me from the media, I hadn't heard about these people. Wow. Now, that's really awesome. And, um, you know, I think it's great that we've come to this podcast to speak about, um, you know, what does a dyslexic look like? You're not going to look at somebody and just think they've got dyslexia or not. But I think it's a bit harder when you're um, when you're black and you've got dyslexia. Yeah. Sometimes people don't, just don't believe us. And I've had that experience in my corporate world yes. when I used to work. But it is yes. what it is. And yes, we are coming out and yes, we are talking about having dyslexia. And this is why it's such a great place to, to you know, A2I dyslexia, embarking on black and dyslexic conversation. We speak about um, from prison pipeline to pro- employment and all the different events that we have, as well as um, the things that Marcia Brissett Bailey will share and Ruth will share and all the other dyslexic, amazing dyslexic people who are bringing change into the community. Um, and I think that brings us to the end of our, our, our podcast, really, unless you've got anything that you'd like to add before we go. <laughs> Not unless you have anything else to ask. Um, I would... <laughs> So for the people listening, um, see this as something that's active. If you want to, if you want any further information on anything, um, get in touch with me in terms of LinkedIn. Um, if you have any questions, if you want anything specific, or um, it's the case you want to have a conversation, my information is available. And Elizabeth, you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you so much. And yes, these these conversations about um, dyslexia and associated conditions, I think it's definitely needed within um, our our ethnicity and our background because I think there's an element where um, stigma is attached to a lot of things because ultimately, as you mentioned, historically, we haven't been believed. So if you have that idea of not being believed and that kind of maybe shame and element what you're probably not wanting to do is add another tag which is supposed to be seen as negative onto that so um i would say anyone who has managed to get themselves assessed i'll say well done it is the first step and some people may never take that step either because funding's an issue or because shame is they'd rather be called stupid and everything else but be named somebody who's dyslexic so um if unless you um acquire dyslexia through some kind of traumatic experience you're born with it and for those people who feeling that they're aliens it's very likely maybe one of your parents or one of your grandparents or siblings might have dyslexia and if they don't they might have something else so you really aren't an alien as much as you think you are exactly thank you very much Inizola, for coming on a2i dyslexia podcast now if anybody wants to connect with Inizola, you can of course follow her on linkedin and her name will be up when we share the podcast on all our different podcast channels i want to say a very big thank you to black thrive lambeth for supporting the black community with dyslexia and also for giving us the, the funding to be able to do free dyslexic assessment for black lambeth residents who have got dyslexia and other specific learning difficulties. That brings us to the end. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Yola from Salt and Pepper for, for producing the podcast and also to all our listeners that listen because without the listeners, there is no podcast. So massive thank you to you all. Now we'll be back next week, same time, same place, with a different topic. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. The Aspire to Inspire Dyslexia Podcast, All Things Dyslexia, is funded by Lambeth Black Thrive. It's presented by Elizabeth Tashi and is produced and distributed 
by Salt and Pepper Productions.